Welcome to the Craft to Career podcast with Elizabeth Chapel, where every week we dive into how you can turn your craft into a successful career. Get ready to have the career you've always dreamed of. Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of the Craft to Career podcast. I am Elizabeth Chapel, the host of the podcast. And this week, I invited Doug Lico to come on the podcast. He is someone who has been quilting. I actually did not know this until we chatted since he was uh, so young, so young. I mean, he's been immersed in the quilting world since before any of us can even imagine. There's a funny story that you're going to hear about Quilt Market, where he actually had a booth at a Quilt Market before legal age to be at Quilt Market. So Doug, I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a while because he has self-published a lot of books. He has also published with publishers and even has a book coming out soon with a publisher. And I really wanted to have him share with you listeners how, how to go about writing and publishing a book. Why would you want to do that? What's the cost, you know, the benefit of a single pattern versus a book? All of the things about publishing a book. So I am really excited to introduce you to my friend, Doug. Doug, so excited to have you here. Thanks for being a guest. I met you years ago at a quilt, no, what is it? Quilt Market. And you worked for Moda. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about like how you got into quilting. Let's start with that. How you got into quilting. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Elizabeth. Uh, so my name is Doug Glico from Antler Quilt Design, and I got into quilting when I was about five years old. And my mom has sewn a quilt her whole entire life, and she taught me how to quilt if I was going to hang out with her in her sewing room. And so it was just kind of one of those, it was just kind of a natural, it was just perfect for me to grow into it and learn all of the sewing aspect and the quilting side of it. And I started off with little placemats and ray quilts and small projects. It was always, my mom's big thing was always to have a successful project, not a big undertaking or a big overtaking where it was uh, too much to handle. Okay. So I'm curious. My mom was a quilter growing up and, and a sewer and she wanted to teach me. And I was like, Nope, no, no, no. You know? So you loved it though from a young age? I did. And uh, so then in 2005, we started a quilt shop in our basement online and we were kind of one of the, you know, web, our website quilt shops before it was a big thing and e-commerce and all of that. And then in 2006, we opened a brick and mortar quilt shop. And we had that for just over seven years. It's now been closed. Uh, but with that, it was one of those where I kind of became, you know, just infatuated with the quilters and people coming in and all their projects and the fabrics. And um, you get to, you know, get to order all this fabric in advance. And just it's it's a lot of fun. It's eye candy and it's exciting. And all the people coming in, they're so nice. And then you have the food to begin with. And <laughs> you have all the great people. There's There's so much of that. That is cool. So when did you first go to, have, yeah, when was your first quilt market? Uh, so my first quilt market, I uh, snuck in. I was underage. I did not <laughs> know there was an age uh, quilt market. I did not, <laughs> they didn't realize that I had my own booth and everything. So I had my first booth when I was 16 and they did not realize that. <laughs> and it's, they thought I was with my mom or grandma having a booth and it was actually my own booth. So when I was 14, I started designing books and patterns. My, our Moda rep at the time, and when we had our store, it was Holly Taylor. And Holly Taylor still designs for Moda, uh, but she encouraged me. She said, it's a great industry. You'll love it. She had been in it, you know, 15 years at that time as well. And she's like, you'll love the industry. It's great. You can 
have a lifelong career in it. And it was, you know, and I had asked certain people and other people that have been in the industry a while had told me to, well, you're going to need insurance. You're going to need to, you know, you need healthcare and you, you know, you're going to need a retirement and all of that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I had, you know, Eileen and I had Moda telling me, you know, you'll be great. You're going to do really well with it. And uh, just take the, you know, just start small and grow and just try, you know, try different things and test the waters and, uh, you know, just learn from everything that you do. There's nothing wrong. There's so much, there's so much room for growth in this industry. And there's, I always say there's one of those, you know, I, I, I love everything you do from the pattern writing course to all your business suggestions and courses that you offer, because that wasn't there when I started. There were three books that were from a publisher that basically you could buy and you could read through them that told you basically how to write a book and how to write a pattern and distribute in our industry. And they were somewhat out of dated. They were not necessarily the everything that you needed to learn. A lot of it also is trial by error. But really, you know, it was one of those you read the books and you kind of got done. You're like, oh, okay, now it's just a big jump. And where do I begin? And how, how do you kind of get to the next step? So even having your course would have been great, you know, 15 years ago, because now looking at it, it's just shy of 15 years um, that I've been in the industry and having my own books and patterns. Okay, I, I'm shocked. So let's rewind because you just like slipped in there that you were 16 years old mm -hmm. when you had your first booth. And yeah. you had been writing and publishing. When did you? Uh, so I started oh. my first. So I wrote my first pattern when I was fourteen, and I was. It was one of those where my mom's like, "Oh, you designed it. It was really pretty. It was a just a friendship star quilt, a little variation of a friendship star, and had sashi in between it. So nothing crazy, you know, complicated. Nothing crazy, you know, that would be, you know, just it wasn't. It was just a just a regular pattern. My mom's like, "Just try it." And very encouraging. It was, it was really, I, you know, I look back and it's like, oh, she really was just not being a mom, but she was like, you'll do fine. You'll do great. And then it was one of those where all of a sudden I kept designing and kept designing and there was the next pattern and then the next pattern and the next pattern. And I even find that still to this day after all these years where it's when you have an idea, just kind of keep, let them flow and just keep designing and don't just stop and be like, oh, should I, should I tweak that now? Or should I look at that? Or should I alter this? Just keep playing because at the end of the day, you're, you're going to have many more creations that come to you. And just let them flow. And I also find like if I relax on a vacation or if I come back, you know, if I'm, I just need to, you know, wind down a little bit and just kind of want to be creative just to relax and the designs start flowing. Uh, and then, you know, just go back later then tweak and be like, okay, I'm going to change this block. Or I'm going to change this size. or I'm going to change the sashing here and then alter it from that standpoint. I think a lot of people get so set on having the perfect design right away. You don't have to have the perfect design right away, it, you know, and what, what I started with back in the day and what it designed now or are completely different. Um, you know, you kind of alter and sway and change with the times and, you, you know, every, you know, our likes just as much as anybody else's likes change over time. So what we design now is going to be even different than five, 10 years from now too. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's one of those where you will grow and evolve and, you know, kind of change as you, as you begin. And even like my first pattern, I laugh at my first pattern. It was a little booklet pattern, uh, you know, five, you know, a five and a half by eight and a half little booklet pattern. And it was, I look at it now and it's like, oh my gosh, the graphics and the picture. And it, yeah, it was all done. And I think it was done in uh, publisher. Okay. Back, back in the day. And it was this, you know, learning publisher and, you know, always very big on the graphics. And I always was like, how does everybody get all the graphics? And it just kind of opens up a whole can of worms. Cause how do you get to that? How do you do your cover? And how do you, you know, how do you get everything that you need to have to have a professional looking pattern? And yeah. 
even at that time too, that was the big thing was, is you take a picture of your quilt in a setting and then you'd go to, you know, you go to Walgreens or Walmart and have your photo developed or go to Kodak and have it developed. And, you know, and then you'd like stick it with a piece of t uh, tape or glue or whatever on the, on your pattern cover. And that was always the big thing back in the day was the real picture and tape it down and. I like that was your cover. Odd, odd. <laughs> I, I wish I could have been in the industry then just to mm -hmm. see the change because I hear so much about how it's changed. But like oh, to yeah. hear that, I'm like, oh man, it is. Yeah. So what do you use now to write your patterns? What programming? So now I use Adobe. I have the Adobe suite. So I do the InDesign, Photoshop, and Illustrator. And I find myself going between all three of them. And yeah, they're, they're great. I, I jumped to them a couple years ago, probably about 10 years ago now. And it was one of those when I started doing uh, self-published books. It was one of those where I was like, okay, I need to find the next best thing because publisher just wasn't cutting it. Mm -hmm. And I had hired a technical writer and it, that was just a lot of money going out the door and it wasn't worth it. So I just actually are uh, in Minnesota here where I live. The Science Museum offers classes and computer classes and different things like that. And so they offer the whole adobe creative suite classes and i went took all of them and learned all about how they worked and all their different quirks and you know tips and everything that they offer and so that was really cool to get my feet wet oh i'm basically like, in those yeah. you are living my dream life so i grew up in minnesota we've talked about this mm -hmm. you and i yeah um and you're in maple grove maybe yep maple grove yep <laughs> northwest side of the cities yes yep so you go down to like saint paul to the museum there mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's St. Paul, right by oh. the XL, the big ice rink and the ice yeah. arena. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm just walking down memory lane. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay, going back to self-publishing, mm -hmm. can you talk to the listeners about the pros of self-publishing? Have you ever published with a publisher? Why would yeah. you go the self-publishing yeah. route? Yep. So back in the day, this is kind of one of those things that's kind of like your first market and, you know, just getting an industry and, you know, with the photo, the real photos on the cover, the paper covers. Um, back in the day, you know, the self-publishing also by itself is just kind of a big undertaking and it's very daunting. And I know I talked to a lot of designers and they're like, oh, I couldn't do that. It's just too much work. And I just didn't even know where to begin. And I, I, I just have so many questions. But at the end of the day, it's one of those, if you have your design style, perfected the way you like it and you're confident in it and you love it and your customers are used to it just take that basic principle of your pattern writing and put it into a book and it's maybe 100 pages it might be 200 pages uh, it might be 30 pages a lot of the times it's really just depending on that and don't be freaked out about the page count and don't be freaked out about the undertaking of a book just write a pattern and keep writing patterns and writing patterns and writing patterns and then you know there's so many things um, you can turn it over to a, you know, if you, if you get it done and you're designing it yourself and you want to turn it over to a publisher, you more certainly can. Uh, publishers, you know, I always say they're great for the exposure. They're great for getting your name out there. If you're just trying something, you're unsure about self-publishing and you want to produce a book, go with a publisher. I, I, um, I've self-published about 22 books now. Dang, I did not know but, it was that many. Yes, it's and some of them are, you know, 30 pages and some of them are 120 pages. It's just, you know, they all are all over different. They're not all the same format. They're not all the same size, same, you know, concept. They're all different. Um, but if you go with the publisher, that, you know, kind of can help you kind of get your feet wet as well. So you kind of can dive into that a little bit more as far as a publisher. They'll help you from everything from sewing your quilts to turning your manuscript to just sending it off and they'll send you a finished book to where if you write it yourself, you get control every aspect of it. Um, so I have produced one book with uh, Martingale, and it's, so they were the publisher on that one, and it's called Stashtastic. I have another uh, book with them in the works called Stashtastic Q that's coming out at the end of this year. 
Um, but I choose to do publishing my, you know, self-publishing myself because you get to control a lot more of it. You get to also make more money, and at the end of the day, that's why we're in this industry, is to make to make money, and it's our, you know, livelihood. It's how we continue on and do other things. And to be very honest, you have a big up upfront expense of self-publishing, but at the end, you get to reap the rewards a little bit um, greater. And not a lot of people realize that. And another tip that I would suggest would be to, to partner up with a, a printer and basically that's your publisher. You don't need, you know, like, you know, a, a big name uh, producer that's going to, you know, publish your books and make sure it's all legal jargon and all of that. And you don't have to, you don't have to have that. You just can, you know, connect with the printer. I use Palmer printing here in Minnesota. They are, they, they basically, I don't say cater to our, our industry, but they do really well in the so creative and sewing industry. And they know a lot of connections and they work with a lot of sewing machine manufacturers and they work with a lot of uh, designers and fabric companies. And they do a lot of a lot of different things for our industry. So they get us, they get who we're going for. They do a lot of uh, people that have retired even in the industry like Lynette Jensen, the Mulberries. Back in the day, they produced all of her books and she has hundreds of books. And so it's one of those where as long as you partner with a, with a printer or somebody that's going to help coach you, with, you know, the paperweight and the quantities. And, you know, as soon as you kind of get a breakdown of your pricing and everything, you really can, you really can kind of get an idea of what, A, what the cost needs to be, uh, how many pages you need to do, because there's signatures when you go to print, there are 16 signatures on a page, basically. And so there's all different printing jargon that you're going to need to know, because it might be more cost effective to do a full signature than it would be to do like a two page extra, you know, and, and only use like a, an eighth of the signature page. And so there's a whole other legal jargon too. I don't want to lose anybody. But, yeah. You know, okay. A, what, what is signature? When you say that, I feel like I'm a foreign language. <laughs> so a signature is so like when they print, they print nine times out of 10. Like if you go to a big commercial printer, they have a big press. That's probably, you know, I want to say it's maybe like a hundred feet long you know, mm -hmm. 80 feet long. And it basically takes this big piece of paper that is 16 pages of, uh, you know, eight and a half by 11, 16 pages, uh, two up by eight across. And so they have, that's one side and then they flip it over and print on the other side. But they basically would say it's a 16 signature page. Okay. And then, so that's have how they you, do like a, that's how they do that. Have you seen this? Have you gone yeah. and like seen, because yep. it sounds like, you know, you've seen this. Yeah. <laughs> so my mom, so it's kind of funny because my mom, before she had a quilt shop, she was in the printing industry for 20 years. So I have yeah. a lot more jargon of it and know a lot, a little bit more of it than probably the most. Uh, just to kind of get your feet wet, but you can learn about it. It's, it's great. There are video on social media. I can send you a video if you want to tag a video with this. On I'm going to throw just this out works. there. I think you should host a field trip where we come to Minnesota and <laughs> we get to that. go and see that. Okay, let's yeah. plan this. I want to go see it. It's awesome. I'm always amazed by the printer and like the books. Um, the books have a vegetable base oil that is used for the ink. And so, like, you walk in and it smells like vegetable oil in the printer. So it's really kind of weird, but it smells really good. The ink, you know, some people don't like printer ink, but I guess I was, you know, raised with it. And I, I do like the smell of it, but that's, that's another really whole weird cool. quirk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, yeah, now I need to go. So, all right, we'll chat about a field trip there. Yeah, yes. So I'm interested and intrigued by the fact that you are actually working with a publisher right now. It sounds like um, the majority is your own, but you mm -hmm. do kind of do a little mm -hmm. bit. Why Why are you doing a book with a publisher right now? So I'm doing a book with a publisher just to continue on with the series that I did with the first one in 2017. So I figured it's been enough time. Um, I wanted to do another book in the series. They wanted to do another book. And so and we work really well. They're a great company. Um, and again, it's one of those where it's nice to have the exposure. It's a different audience. They have different reaches than I have. Uh, and so you kind of just 
you can work hand in hand. And I know several designers that do a published book with a publisher and then self-publish themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, it just kind of works out. And, you know, sometimes you like it and sometimes you don't. And you're like, okay, I don't want to do this again. And so it's one of those I often tell people, do your own, do your own first, do your own self-publishing and see if you like it. And then again, like you said, if I, if you get done with the book and you're like, I'm not going to print on this, I'm not spending thousands of dollars printing this, give it to a publisher and they'll produce it for you. If, you know, if it's something that they feel they, they can sell and they can market with. And hmm. yeah, it's, it, it depends on, it depends, I guess, on how confident you are in yourself. And, you know, even, even with all your pattern courses, I think it's great because I've seen all your templates and everything. They cut, you know, the pattern writers and the designers themselves, it's a big undertaking, but once you keep going with it, it you get more confidence built up. Yep. And you're kind of going to get to that, you know, that point where you're going to be like, I can do this. Let's publish a book. And, I, and you know, one of my biggest things is I was very, everything I did had to be a book. And at the end of the day, it was like, no, I'd rather put out quality versus quantity. And I'd rather have a, you know, quality product and have a little bit higher price for the, you know, pay a little higher price for the paper, have the nice photography done, you know, nice graphics, all of that. You know, again, you're doing it all yourself. You save money from that. But there is still a cost, yeah. cost of doing it all and having it, having a nice product. So do you, I'm curious with your books, do you buy them and carry them in your house or do you print on demand and someone else ships them for you? So one of the, th one of the things when you go to produce a book and you're going to want to talk to the printer and kind of when, when we talked about that already about, you know, getting your quantities and getting, you know, the pricing that you're looking for to kind of see how feasible this is. Uh, one of the things I would definitely suggest is to look at the quantities and sometimes to make it profitable and to be successful, you might need to print. 2,000, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, or, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000, you never know. Um, but you always, you always want to ask the printer a for the price breakout of the quantities. Um, and so that's where you're going to kind of know if you're going to need to print 5,000 copies or like, I remember my first book, I printed a thousand copies and it took me, you know, two years to get rid of. And then I went to the second one and I printed 10,000 copies and it was gone, you know, in three to four years. So if you're okay with inventory hanging around a little bit to supply that, I would say have a little bit more investment, produce the larger quantities. Uh, a lot of times wherever you go, as far as a publisher or a printer, they might have options for storage. Um, but I have, you know, I have a pallet rack in my garage, an eight foot pallet rack by eight foot high, and it's got three, four pallets on it. And I will ship out to the distributors. Um, I'll ship out to quilt shops as, you know, wholesale, that type of thing. But it's one of those where you kind of find the happy medium. I know some designers that have a storage unit and they put all their, in a climate controlled storage unit, they put all their books and patterns in there from the printer. Uh, you know, the, for the books, you're not necessarily going to want to print on demand. Some people will print on demand on a copier and color copier and they'll put the binding on there and they'll do like the plastic wire binding. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes it really depends again on your product quality that you want and the look and the everything where you're probably going to need to mass produce your books. Okay. Yeah. You want to, you want to buy them in larger quantities, but even like patterns, some people will mass produce patterns at a hundred at a time or 500 at a time or a thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you also have the ones that have a nice copy printer at home and they'll, they'll produce on demand. Yep. So kind of a little bit different from the pattern and book standpoint. Okay. Is it fairly lucrative for you? Like if you have a pie chart of the different sources of income, where do your mm -hmm. books fall in that? What slice of the pie? Um, the slice of the pie for, for like self-published books, are, I would probably say 60 to 70%. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. You can, you know, you can make anywhere from a couple dollars all the way up to eight, nine, ten dollars on a book self-publishing okay. it yourself versus if you go with the publisher, you, you know, it's all negotiated rate with your publishers and what you get paid. Um, and then, you know, it might be a dollar, it might be $2. You never know per book and it's all on quantity sold. 
mm-hmm. where if you produce it yourself, you only have so many that you have to sell to make money and then you make it's all profit. And it's, okay. it's question though. So why I know I have heard and talked with people, I can earn $12 a pattern, you know, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I sell it or, you know, a little bit less mm-hmm. with all the margins and everything. And then with a book, like why, why do a book over a single pattern? So I've often, uh, you know, I used, so I used to do a lot of Christmas books. I did about eight Christmas books. I started it with Christmas books and did all these kind of like seasonal books, if you want to say. Uh, and it was one of those where it was easier to produce a book than it was to produce 20 other patterns. So most of my books have about between 15 to 22 projects in them. I always like to make sure you get a good quantity of projects. And I always try to make sure that it's one of those where if you price it out, it's like, okay, a dollar to $2 a pattern. But if you have a single pattern, so many people... Uh, you know, produce patterns and there's patterns all over. There's free patterns online. I just, you know, it was easier to produce a book and have more of a quality of the projects of every, the whole, basically the whole package than just one single pattern. And, you know, I, I found yeah. that the single pat, you know, the single patterns also ebb and flow in the industry. Um, back in the day before technology and before the online, you know, e-commerce and before social media, you'd go to market and you would sell, you know, thousands of dollars, you know, 30, 40, 50 thousands of dollars at market because that was the only time shop owners came. They got to see, you know, it was packed full of people. The booths were packed and everybody that came to market was looking for those new ideas and those new new things. And that's still a lot today. Um, but now we get to introduce things on social media when we want to. You know, we have distributors that have also a reach with the customers as well on social media. So there is the newness factor of patterns is not there where it's as lucrative as it used to be of patterns. Hmm. Uh, so that, you know, that's another one of those evolution things kind of change with the industry. So I always find that it's I can sell more books than I can sell patterns. Now, not saying pattern sales are down. I wouldn't say that. It's all on your designs and how you how you publish as well and how you produce your, your patterns and books. Um, so some people, patterns are dead and some, pe- some people are think they're great. I think they're great. It really eats their own. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, going way back to when you first were talking about, mm-hmm. I love this, what you mentioned, that just start writing patterns. You know, mm-hmm. everyone wants the big pattern that's going to catapult them into stardom, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you don't start with that. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got to create and you don't know your look at first. Mm -hmm. It's going Mm -hmm. to, it's going to evolve. And you've seen that yourself. If, okay. If I had to describe your look, I would say that it's very traditional. I mean, antler Mm -hmm. quilt, Mm -hmm. that's, it's like cabiny kind of, I don't know Mm -hmm. how, what words would you use? So yeah. So my old logo that used to be, so when I first started, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want like Daisy Rose to Mm -hmm. be, you know, be my (laughs) name, the company and a guy shows up. That wasn't my thing. So I wanted more masculine. I wanted the top of the alphabet. I have a marketing degree. And so it was one of those where I wanted the top of the alphabet. So that's where antler came in. And I wanted to make sure everybody kind of knew it was a guy. It wasn't Mm whatever. But I used to have an antler rack. That was my logo. And everybody assumed it was taxidermy. So everywhere I went, it was always <laughs> taxidermy. So I quick got rid of that and changed that. And again, it's one of those, you don't know when you start what the you know perception is going to be and what people are going to perceive when they look at a logo. Um, you know, so logo design is another big aspect of your patterns and everything as well. Uh, but it, it's one of those where when you first start and it's just, your look is completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Okay, I'm thinking I should have gone with candy quilts instead of quilters candy. So I'm <laughs> <up in the laughs> alphabet. But yeah, and, and you know, having having the masculine part of it, I would definitely say I'm very traditional. Uh, design is very traditional. I love scrappy, you know, that. But more of my designs tend to be very traditional versus mm-hmm. modern. But I can 
play with the modern fabrics and use the modern fabrics and incorporate that, you know, there's no problem with that. It's, it's just more usually tend to be uh, traditional designs. Yeah, well, and you have a good look. I mean, you can look at something and know, oh, yeah, that's Doug's, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also the book, so that's interesting to think about. So I like thinking about, like you said, let's just say Valentine's because it's coming up soon. Mm -hmm. If you have a lot of heart patterns, mm -hmm. it's going to be easier to just put that in a book where everyone mm -hmm. can get it all. And there's there's an appeal to, oh, I can get all of those in one place mm -hmm. rather than having to buy all the individual patterns. Yes. Yeah. So I like that idea for a book of putting... And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, you're in this more than I am, but if a book has a great theme, it's way more attractive and it's going to sell better. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when customers fan through a book and even like if you go to Barnes and Noble or you go to, you know, you go to any kind of bookstore and you're looking at it, or even it's just Target, you're looking at a book, you're always going to flip it, flip through it and fan through it and be like, okay, are there projects? And, you know, when we had the shop, we always would say we have to have at least three projects that we personally would make out of a book. Mm -hmm. Whether it be, you know, uh, you know, very, you know, embroidery or applique or traditional piece or modern. It's one of those where you should be able to fan through a book. And that's always a good rule of thumb to make sure you at least have projects that you would make in a different customer's eye because everybody's going to see something different. So it's mm -hmm. like you said, take all those heart patterns, put them into one, change the photography, change the patterns a little bit, you know, maybe remake the sample in something different where it's not Valentine's just to kind of show, oh, hey, it doesn't have to be Valentine's. It could be, you know, red, you know, red, black and, you know, red, black and gray. You never know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so kind of change that part of it, but you always want to fan through it and make sure that a, the quality is good from that standpoint of the projects and the pattern writing. Cause a lot of customers will look at that too. They'll look at the writing and, you know, when they fan through it to make sure that they can understand it. Cause I'm sure, you know, you've, you've heard that too, from even, you know, people in your course and yourself of people are going, well, I don't understand this jargon or I don't understand what they're saying here, or there's too much verbiage or, you know, it's, it's just too much, you know, illustrations, there's no pictures at all, or there's nothing to help me get to the end quilt at the end of the day. And that's basically why they buy your product. And if they will learn that over time too, if they can't, if they buy a, you know, an antler quilt and a pattern, they know it's going to get them from the beginning, labeling their pieces to sewing the projects, to trimming, to pressing. And at the end of the day, they're going to have a nice product at the end. Mm -hmm. They will learn that pretty fast and they are very quick and uh, even kind of having this side of it now with the sales rep side of it. When you're sitting with the shop owner, they will know like, oh, customers come in and oh, they don't want to buy this pattern or oh, they don't want to buy this because they won't make this because it's all it's all type or it's not, you know, there's no pictures at all or this one's only diagrams and there's no words. They don't even know what to do or begin. Yep. So you have, there's all different aspects of it, but you when you know, you get, you get a lot of the general consensus from the shop owners and the customers as well. And mm -hmm. that also helps drive what you do as your designer and when you produce books and patterns in general. Well, and I, I mean, for quilting, quilting for me is relatively new. So I still remember certain patterns that I bought where I was mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I got this. And other ones where I'm like, I was crying, like, I don't know what to do. I think I'm mm -hmm. going to cut my fabric wrong. Ah, mm -hmm. you know, so do you, do you remember, I guess more as a shop mm -hmm. owner, you saw that where people yeah. were like, yeah, this person I trust yeah. these patterns I cannot. Oh yeah. I, I remember that as a shop owner, customers coming in and absolutely frustrated. And, and honestly, even like there would be a couple, some of my first patterns, I have rewritten a lot of my first patterns to have the today's, you know, basically quality, I would say, but all of like the illustrations and everything that people are accustomed to now with my books and patterns, I rewrote several of the first ones and they've had a second life basically. And they've mm -hmm. gone on to sell way more than they did their first go around. Uh, and you know, and everything from the get go, uh, you know, or from the, when you produce a pattern to it's okay, was this, you know, people have questions on this or did you hear a lot of complaints or, you know, what was that? And you kind of can alter that and change that, but you do hear about it from the customers. And to me, that's the best part. And that's part of reflecting. And I think that's a very 
honest way to get feedback from your customers is to look back and reflect on your patterns. Everybody can produce, everybody can produce a pattern and everybody can be excited about it. And you can produce a pattern and you can put it out there and you wonder why people aren't buying it or whatever that, but it's okay to ask for feedback and be like, mm -hmm. what did you like about my pattern? Is there something you didn't like? Was there, you know, is there something that it's missing? And customers will be very honest. That's, that's one thing most quilters will be very honest and tell you everything <laughs> that you don't want to hear, but you do yep. need to know. It's and true. I, I, I think it's great. I, I really do. You got to take it, take it with a grain of salt because you're going to get people that are going to be like, well, you didn't tell me where to place this exact fabric. And I want to mm -hmm. place it exact, exactly where you placed it. But at the end of the day, she's, you know, he or she is probably one of a million that is going to make that pattern. Basically, I'm just going to say, and mm -hmm. not everybody else is going to want to place that fabric exactly that. So it's, you're going to get different feedback than you want, but that's all part of, it's all part of getting honest feedback, I think, which is great. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned something that, you have redone some of your past patterns to reflect what people want today. Can you mm -hmm. touch on how the evolution of the pattern, what they're like now compared to what they, what people used to want and expect? So back in the day, nothing had to be color. It was like your cover quilt was color and your instructions were all, unless you were with a publisher for a book, your patterns were basically black and white and it was cheaper to do a black and white copy and a black and white paper nowadays. And it's completely reversed where it's cheaper to do a full color pattern in a full color book. I remember in my first book and it was in black and white with a color insert in the middle and it was cover color. And I remember went going to my second book and they came back and they're like, do you know what's cheaper to, to do a full color book? Every, every page is color. And I was like, no way. And just kind of like the light bulb went off and it was great because it's just kind of everything kind of changes and advances. And now mm -hmm. you see, you know, it's, it's basically you're in the minority if you have a black and white pattern. Everything mm -hmm. is now full color and it's great. And so that's one of the best things I would see, I would say has improved in, from the patterns from 15 years ago to now is everything's full color and it helps clarify things so much more because you're not mm -hmm. looking at everything in grayscale. Now, I, I still design a lot in grayscale and I still do that, but that's a whole other story. But, uh, you know, grayscale is just kind of one of those good mediums that if anything can be in grayscale, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember one of my very first patterns actually was on eight and a half by 11, black and white, printed off of just a printer, yeah. folded in half. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a bit confusing because I mm -hmm. had, you know, I mm -hmm. just, I wanted the diagram yeah. and I wanted... Yeah. Hmm, there, there's a, I remember going to some quilt shops and they, they produced patterns in our industry back in the day and they've now retired. Um, but I don't want to say that name, but they've, they, you go to their quilt shop and they'd have a copy machine in the corner and they literally mm -hmm. hit print and they'd copy the patterns and it like copied like 55 times and the quality wasn't great and it didn't look really nice. But at the end of the day, they sold a lot of patterns and back in the day, that's what you were accustomed to. That's what you're used to where now it's like, we, we want to have the full color. We want to have it trimmed really nice. We want to have it printed very nice, stapled or, mm -hmm. you know, bound a different way or wire bound. Uh, it really just kind of, you know, our, our, perception of what we need to produce now is, is a lot greater which is nice yeah and what customers well, expect and it's interesting too so having obviously I've got two people that I work with my customers and my mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. and the customers are generally they they want a pattern that tells you exactly how to replicate what's mm -hmm. on the cover mm -hmm. the designers people who design quilt patterns we're outside of the box we you don't mm -hmm. need to tell me i can see it i can do it yeah so it's a learning curve but i've noticed that the customers like to have a diagram each step of the way here's what you do here's where you put mm -hmm. it label it even though it seems obvious that well if that picture is mm -hmm. under this step that's mm -hmm. what you do they it's mm -hmm. like they need their hand held and they mm -hmm. need everything mm -hmm. told to them have you noticed yeah. that oh yeah and that that was one of my 
biggest things because when I started when I started doing patterns uh, at 14, I remember customers coming in and they were confused over this or they were confused over that pattern. And it was like, I always one of those, if I ever started a pattern company, I would want XYZ. And I knew when I started, I had to have XYZ because that's what customers came in and complained about or they were looking for the diagrams and the words. And so I always made sure, you know, every all my patterns right from the get-go had the diagrams and the, and the labels and things like that. And some of those have never changed over time. And there are some things that I have still you know, 15 years later that I had on my first pattern that is still there because it, mm-hmm. it makes sense. But yeah, they're very much so, you you know, customers will definitely tell you, you know, this is great, not great. Um, you know, I need this part of it and I want this explained this way. Or can you tell me the pressing? A lot of people shy away from pressing, you know, or even like the size of that unit. You're going to sew the star together, let's just say, and tell them the size of the pattern. They want to yep. know. They need to know. Everybody's everybody's quarter inch and cutting is completely different. And those, yes, those are the fundamentals and the foundation of quilt making. But every quilter is different from the quarter inch to the rotary cutting. And they want to know, you know, okay, at the end of the day, how, what size does the star have to be? Does it have to be, you know, eight inches? And Elizabeth's patterns tell me it has to be eight inches. Okay, I'm going to get it to eight inches. Yeah. So you help them out from that standpoint because they're going to, they might take, you know, a roundabout way to get there and not follow your patterns because you honestly do have that. Like if you or I were to pull up a pattern, you and I are going to make it probably completely different than the pattern was written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it's one of those where, you know, everybody's going to take their own course to get to the end, but give them, give them all these things because the, I always say the customers, you need to, you know, you need not treat them like they're five, but you need to explain it to them like they're five where it's, you know, you, you always would, you know, you know, when you kind of look, think back to like elementary school or kindergarten and basically you think all those books and the education and illustrations, that's what you need to write the patterns for because it's going to help explain it. And then there is no question at the end of the day of what did she mean by this? And did she really want me to use this square? Or was I supposed to use this square? And don't just tell me, you know, you, you know, use a three and a half by five inch piece of fabric and pair it up with this. Well, what fabric background, you know, an accent, yeah. a border fabric, what, you know, what do you use? Um, so I think explaining it the best, you know, explain dummy, dummy down, I guess is the best way or, you know, kit, the kiss mm-hmm. method, keeping yep. it simple. Um, that, that is also a great, you know, mantra to have when you're writing patterns because you can't, and don't assume anything. That was the other big thing. Don't assume anything with, mm-hmm. with, with pattern writing. And, and a lot of, you know, like, you know, you and I are talking about self-publishing as well, but a lot of what you do in your pattern course and what you do when you write a pattern transfers over to publishing a book or transferring over to anything when you explain and teach a product and teach your pattern. It's all on the same principle of you start at ground zero and you work up. Yep, exactly. And what are the steps you take? And mm-hmm. and I've never, ever heard anyone complain that a pattern was too detailed. I mean, if there's someone who's very advanced and they're reading a mm-hmm. basic pattern, they know what mm-hmm. they can skip over yeah. and oh, yeah. I don't need that. But no one's ever complained like this pattern just had too much, you know, too much help. <laughs> no one's yeah. ever complained about that. Yeah. They, they love, they love to be in your head. They love to know what you're thinking about it. So, you know, if you write a little, like I have often, I'll put a little thing in there. also like Doug's tip and it's a little bubble that I create next to the pattern and be like, okay, you're only going to use half these pieces. You don't need half these pieces for this step. Save them for the next step. Or, you know, uh, you're only going to need to select, you know, 14 out of the 16 that you cut. You're going to have two extra. Or, you know, select your favorites or fussy cut. This would be a great option to fussy cut in this step. So I'll often put that in there because they do want to know what you're thinking Mm -hmm. and what's your thought process when you designed it as well. So, yeah, helping them all of that part really makes a big difference. Yeah, I like that. A little Doug tip. So mm-hmm. I can you share with our listeners, are you still a moto rep? Can you tell us I all am. the aspects? Yep. What do you do besides yep. books and patterns? So I am a motor rep. I've been a motor rep for five years now. And so I have southern Minnesota, northern part of Iowa, western Wisconsin, and then part of the UP of Michigan. 
as my territory. So I have about 120 stores that I call on every every six to eight weeks. I call on, and I'm in you know appointments two to three times a day. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on weather, or it depends on whatever else is going on, and if there's shop hops going on. But yeah, I'm, uh, that's my day job. I always say. And so before I became the sales rep in the territory, I traveled and spoke all over the world for about 10 years, teaching and speaking the quilting and my designs and different things like that. So I've been, wow. you know, been over to Germany and Poland and taught you know, over there and mostly around the United States uh, and kind of taught all over. There's only a couple states I haven't taught class in, so it's really been kind of fun. But huh, after lugging, cool. lugging around like suit, four suitcases through the airport every, every couple weeks, <laughs> I was really quite tired of that and flying so much and doing all that. And so now I get to drive 30, 40,000 miles a year in the car and they um, get to meet with the same shop owners every time and get a nice, you know, get to have, make a nice relationship. And, you know, you still, you kind of get that part of it. And then I get to go home, whether to the hotel or go home um, in the evening or on the weekends and design books and patterns. And it's just, like I said at the beginning, it's just kind of a nice relaxing thing. And sometimes you're in a store and you're, you're seeing the pretty fabric or you get an idea when you're driving and um, everybody kind of gets their ideas different, different ways, but then you get to go back home or to the hotel and get to make those ideas into a pattern or a design or again, just sketch it down. Cause I'll even grab a piece of paper or scratch paper or graph paper and just, you know, jot a design down if I can't go on the computer and put it into illustrator. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Pretty quick. So I love, okay. Having in the past when I had my subscription box and I had a motor rep, mm-hmm. first of all, I have to say it makes a difference at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, really, I've got to have a motor rep, mm-hmm. but you know, to come out, it actually does. Moda knows mm-hmm. what they're doing. Like yep. it, it does, yep. it works. But, um, on the quilt market aspect, I there is something to the human connection. Like when oh, you absolutely. know someone. Yep. So please tell me that quilt market is not going to die. I know it looks mm-hmm. so different, but like, yeah. it, it's, it's around, not gonna, right? Oh yeah, it's around. It's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, with with having the reps, the reps through COVID, we worked. I think I was only off um, a couple weeks in March and a couple weeks in April, and by May first, I was back on the road at the beginning of COVID. And okay. one thing, you know, any any time, this is kind of like a interesting segue we could take but anytime there's a world pandemic whether it be you know 2001 2008 2012 or 2020 you know with covid the world pandemic creates our industry it's a frenzy for our industry we you know it's it, we have our industry is very much you know kind of extra money it's not you know it's kind of a hobby thing it's you don't have to have it doesn't expire it's one of those I was just telling a shop owner this morning. It's like the fabric, if it's late, it's not going to expire. Your, you know, it's not like the milk and eggs at the grocery store where it's going to go bad. If a fabric's late a couple of weeks, it's okay. You know, the other great thing is nobody else in the world has the fabric yet. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's one of those. Our industry is thriving, and it still is. And to go back to market, we've all missed market. The shop owners have extremely missed market more than I think anybody else. But the reps have been around talking to everybody, and I would say Moda has about twenty eight reps. And we cover majority, you know, we cover all the stores. Uh, we we visit, um, you know, the quilt shops the most frequently. I would have to say that's that's great on Moda's part, Mr. Dunn's part. I'm the owner of Moda, that he really wants us to be in our stores, and it's you know, it's all sizes stores, so it's not just large stores, small stores. It's all the whole, you know, the whole gamut. But it's it's one of those where we're helping holding your hand, and you remember that with your Moda rep, and you know, it's one of those where they help you with order product, and I think. They don't get utilized as much. Reps, some of us reps don't get utilized as much as we should, because um, some shop owners want to do it on themselves. And even e-commerce, some e-commerce businesses be like, "Oh, I'll order fabric online. I can do it." Well, it's completely different. We have different avenues. We can help you with different things. We can order product differently. And so it's one of those where everybody should utilize a rep. But then when you go to market, it's one of those where the reps are there. They're great. You can say hi. 
but you know we're going to come see you at the end of the day. And so go to market and take the business classes and take the seminars and take all that and have the human-to-human contact and the connection mm-hmm. and, and do all the meet and greets. And you see in so many Facebook groups, you see so many people on Facebook, they're like, well, are you going to go to market? Are you going to go to QuiltCon? Because QuiltCon's coming up. And, you know, so they're like, are you going to meet up or let's connect or I want to meet somebody in person or, you know, this would be great. And it's, it's one of those where you might get to see these people on social media, but then you get to actually meet up with them in person. And that human-to-human contact is amazing. And even shop owners, they're going to be like, I got to go meet Elizabeth. I know I got to go to market. And I, and I remember that, you know, going to market and being like, okay, I want to meet this person and I got to mm-hmm. go meet this person and I want to make sure I can say hi or, you know, doing that part of it. So I don't think market is dead because you still need that, you know, that tactile touch or industry so tactile. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's still that communication and that networking and that person-to-person contact. Yeah, it, I mean, it's not going to go away. Okay, good. Because like, yeah, well, Aaron, Aaron Moore, I think she was my mm-hmm. motor rep. She's still friends. Like she just texted yeah. me the other day. I, she's not yeah. even doing that anymore. And yeah. I don't use the rep anymore because I'm not selling mm-hmm. stuff. But um, and what way back in the day, I went to the moda party that they have. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah, if they will. Party, I mean, yeah. that is that is <laughs> the thing you got to go. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. the people at that table, still friends with them. Like, exactly. still. Yeah. And so that's yeah. when people are like, I don't know if market's staying around. I'm like, please stay around. Oh, yeah. Like, we've got mm-hmm. to have that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and market market might change. You never know. Um, I know spring market was canceled, but their fall market, they're going full on, full-fledged for fall market. And it's one of those where I tell anybody, everybody, if you can just go for the day, hop on a flight and just go for the day. You know, market market is great from so many different aspects, but even even other designers will make a comment be like, well, why should I have a booth? I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to go to market. I have social media. At the end of the day, that exposure at market is completely different than your social media because you also have customers, you know, the average age of our industry is 65, 66 years old, and they might not want to look on social media. They want to see the quilt in real life, and they want to see Elizabeth's designs, and they want to go, oh, I got to get more of those quilters candy patterns. She was so nice to me at market. And you'll get those people that will come back every time be like, you're so nice. I met you at the moto party. Or, you know, I saw you in the hallway. You're at the hotel. You know, you'll even get that i rode the elevator with you you know i even mm-hmm. had i remember when I, my, one of my first markets in houston um I, we, I rode in like the middle seat in a taxi and i still know the ladies that i was you know <laughs> that, I, that i sat in the middle of this on the floor when i should not have sat there but you know it's just one of those it's just the connection thing and it's you know market market is great from so many aspects you know mm-hmm. than people realize that some people think oh it's just a tra- trade show it's a you know high pressure high sales and it's really really no no sale you know no sales right. it's not it's not like they're gonna push everything down your throat it's not high sales and all that no it's, it's the people it's the connections. it's the people connection yeah absolutely and that's that's one thing even after the COVID or as COVID's evolving and changing uh that's one thing the shop owners i find when i go into stores they're like what's new what's new what's exciting a from the pattern standpoint because they're looking for that next block in the month or they're looking for that next great pattern or they're looking for that next idea that's just kind of sitting in a booth that people are like oh that's really cool but should i try it and they'll try the patterns at market because they can get you know a couple five or six patterns you can send them patterns they mm-hmm. see that it's different than seeing it on a computer and so it that's is. one thing with market i'm like pro market have a booth have market have some representation and if you for some reason cannot be at market or can't go to market show up for you know have a or have a booth i mean but at least have some presence there with fabric company mm-hmm. you know with partner with somebody else part you know partner with the distributor to have your products there there's nothing wrong with that and you know the exposure rate even from the distributor side of it is is great too from being at market they get to see all your products and they're going to want to look at your patterns and shop owners are going to look at your patterns i remember um my first book it was a block of the month book and i was at salt lake city and these the shop owners were like looking through it you know trying to find errors and trying to find if there's anything wrong with it because here's this you know here's this what 16 year old boy (laughs) at market with a booth 
produced this quilt book and who is he? What is, what is this doing? You know, and, and all of, you know, this whole thing. And they're looking through it to try to find anything wrong with it. And, you know, I look back and it's like, oh my gosh, that book was just, that book was, that book was fine. It was great, but I've evolved so much. But, you know, it's, they want to look through it. They want to fan through it. They want to make sure it's going to fit their customers' needs and it's going to explain everything, kind of like we've talked about. It's, they mm-hmm. want to know it's going to check all the boxes. And I, when I had the box back in the day, I can assume this is like a quilt shop. Mm-hmm. I was looking for those kind of hidden gems that weren't oh, really yeah. publicized. I wanted to mm-hmm. find that. Like, I want oh, yeah. something unique. And mm-hmm. there were some booths I still remember. I was like, oh, that's amazing. I've got to mm-hmm. get that, you know. Mm-hmm. So there is something to and, that. And, you know, even like market, like you always joke about it. Like, we were wondering with COVID. And this was something like we were talking with the shop owners. And I um you know, some of those, like you think, okay, with COVID, are they going to let everybody go up one down, you know, up one aisle, down the other aisle, up on that? But my thing was always, I would start like in the middle of the aisle someday at market, or I'd start at the end, and I would literally go back and forth different directions. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'd even go like, you know, the opposite way of everybody else or go up this, you know, the other ways going, you know, east to west versus north and south. And you're going to catch different things as you go, especially from that shop owner standpoint. Um, and even when you like evaluate your booth and you, you create a booth and, and honestly, some people too, when I say you have a market booth, they're like, well, I can't afford a big island or, you know, four booths or I can't afford to have a big booth or whatever. They have small booths. They have, they have different size booths that you can have. And ex- any exposure is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. It, it really it is, is for market. I will say it is exhausting though because you're mm-hmm. on, you know, and you're meeting people. And we quilters mm-hmm. were an introverted bunch, you mm-hmm. know, so yeah. it is awesome. But afterwards, I'm like, I need to hibernate for a couple of weeks and like regroup because it is, mm-hmm. it's um, a stimulus overload, you oh, know. Yeah, and, it, and but, for me, markets a lot of ideas flow at market. Because mm-hmm. it's just one of those, it's, it's, you're with all the creative people and it's like, oh, what if I change this or what if I went home and designed this? I know many times I've come home from market and I literally had designed two or three books from coming home from market and just sitting down and just design books. And this is over, of course, a couple of years, but you know, you design some books after market because it's, or you design patterns or you come home on the airplane and you're writing down, jotting down ideas and you're, you're writing down different things because you get so inspired and you meet all these great people. You see all these beautiful fabrics and you're like, oh, what was that fabric? I could put that in here and this fabric would look great there. And you know, it's... There's so many great things about market. I love yeah. Market. So are you going to QuiltCon? Um, I am hoping to go to QuiltCon. Depends okay. on the weather. Depends on the schedule. I'm hoping to go to QuiltCon. I'll be there. So I'll look for you. I, I hope very you get good. to make it. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you yes. for coming on here and sharing all these insights about self-publishing, working in the industry. Mm-hmm. If our followers want to find you, where should they find you? They can uh, find me on Instagram or Facebook at uh, Douglico. And it's L-E-K-O, very short, um, very easy. Otherwise, it's Antler Quilt Design on Facebook as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Doug, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure to chat with you. If you are enjoying the podcast and you want to hear more on how to grow your creative business, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and go ahead and leave a review. I love hearing what is helping with the podcast, what you're learning, and if there's anything that you want to hear more about. Thanks so much for being here. We will see you next Friday on the Craft to Career podcast. Mm-hmm.